Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, and welcome to Perspectives. My name is Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm your host. As a licensed mental health therapist, I frequently work with children and families around behavioral issues, parenting styles, and general relationship concerns. More and more these days, I ask questions about technology. Is it good? Is it bad? When is a child too young to be exposed to a smartphone or a tablet? How much screen time is okay? How much is too much? There's so much more at play, though, than just the amount of screen time or the age at which children start to use technology. Technology has shifted how we communicate with each other, how we as adults spend our time, and how our families function. So to help us unpack this challenging and timely topic, I'm speaking with Marzia Hassan. Marzia is a former lawyer and now a marriage and family therapist, a public speaker, and an author. She works to empower and strengthen families by creating intentional and healthy relationships. Marcia lives and works across three continents and thus brings us a unique perspective merging Western scientific thought with Eastern spiritual wisdom. She speaks and writes about family challenges in the modern world. Marcia has written a book called Parenting in the Age of Facebook and is scheduled to release a new book this year. In addition to all of that, Marcia and I are college classmates, so it brings me great pleasure to bring her to Perspectives. Welcome, Marcia, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, Vidisha. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, it's all my pleasure. So I'd like to get started right away. And um, my first question really is, when did you start noticing in your practice or in your life that technology was becoming a challenge for families? You know, it's so recent that it's all a blur. <laughs> when my first child was born, he is what we would call a, a digital migrant, right? So when he was young, you know, we still had a shared computer. It was in a public space. And so it was automatically time limited, you know, when one person was on, the other one couldn't be on, right? Right. I think the biggest shift happened with the advent of actually mobile technology. You know, when I started training parents in in managing technology, like now when I look back on on the advice that was given then, it seems, you know, literally laughable because <laughs> we used to say, you know, put the computer in a public space and, uh, you know, make sure you have all sorts of filters. And now, as we know, everyone has, you know, the internet in the palm of their hands. Exactly. Exactly. I still remember with uh, my children as well, we had the computer where we could see it. It was never in a child's bedroom. And you're right. Now everyone has, has a computer basically in their pocket. So um, when you saw the shift, so you think it's very, very recent, you think? I mean, I'm thinking back that it was probably my children started asking for their own cell phone maybe about 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. even even then, we questioned it. They were probably in middle school at the time. And I think now children are starting to have phones at a much younger age. So they have access at a much younger age. Would you agree with that? That's definitely true. And you know, the, the problem is that the pace of change has been so fast that we've all been blindsided. You know, it's we're literally living in an experiment right now. We don't, you know, now slowly the results are coming out of what the impact has been on attention spans and on brain development and all of that. But it's still very, very early in the game. Like we don't really know the full impact of it for a while. I do believe that this generation is going to actually make different choices than we are. You know, we were just taken so much by surprise. Before mm -hmm. we knew it, things had changed so much that we couldn't even catch our breath. So how do you think they will be making different choices? I believe, I hope, <laughs> I am an optimist, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, 
given when they see the impact it's having, that they will become more intentional in, in using it. So, because the way it is right now, it's not, I don't believe it's sustainable for relationships. I don't believe it's sustainable. You know, the, the one of the biggest issues with technology is that it's so easy. Right. And when things are so easy, we naturally, uh, you know, go towards them. Like if something is, you know, fast food, for example, if fast food is there, it's very, very difficult to make the intention to cook uh, a proper meal, right? Right. And similarly, with with uh, with technology, because it is so easily available, it's it's the go-to thing. Like, you know, so many times we're sitting on the dinner table and we will be having a conversation and somebody is discussing something and they'll say, well, let me just check it on Google, Right. Right. And we always have, like, I always have to tell them, not right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's actually okay to wonder, uh, <laughs> you know, and to actually discuss different possibilities rather than just going to Google for every answer, right? Because, again, when we go to Google, it's giving us a ready-made solution. We're not engaging in deep thought. We're not engaging in contemplation. And all of that uh, does have an impact. Exactly. I think I would agree with you. And I think there's this uh, need for it that builds the need for faster information. So the faster we get it, the faster we want it. And um, this ability to wait and um, delay gratification, whether it's for knowledge or for anything, actually, I think it probably transcends into other areas as well, as technology has um, speeds up the amount of time it takes to find any to find out anything or to obtain anything. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the impact of technology on the on the brain. Um, there's uh, I hear parents and school teachers telling me that, um, that they fear on the one hand that the use of the technology, the tablets, the smartphones actually causes ADD or ADD, so um, attention deficit disorder in children. Um, and there's an addictive quality to it. Um, what are your thoughts about how the technology is impacting the brains of our youth? So I think you've hit on two of the major things. Obviously, you know, these things are controversial in the sense that uh, not everyone will be will agree with us but you know both in my practice uh, from what i researched for the book as well as you know talking to many many teachers and parents uh, we know that the incidence of adhd and attention related disorders are on the rise and it's not only a matter of diagnosing them uh, it is it seems to be that there they are actually on the rise. And, and many people would say that a part of it is just the flitting, you know. So this whole idea of multitasking uh, has been shown to be a myth. You know, many of us think that we can actually uh, keep going from one task to another. But what research shows is that it's not actually multitasking. We're basically toggling our attention and right. when we switch our attention so quickly from one task to another, there is what we call a residue, you know, an attention residue. Uh -huh. So it takes a while for us to settle into the new, uh, uh, to the new topic or subject or uh, task that we're paying attention to. But before we've even got into that, we've toggled our attention again away from it. Uh. Okay. So there is a, you know, there is a movement for what we call deep work, for intentional work, for actually blocking off um, uh, distractions and focusing on one thing rather than, you know, just flitting from task to task. We all know, right? I mean, your children probably as well as mine, when they are working on anything, it's not just the one thing that they're working on. You know, they have so many windows open. They may have music going on the same time. They're checking social media. And uh, so it's it's an overload of attention. But the brain, if we can put it in that way, needs some time to digest right. <laughs> uh, the, 
the information as well rather than just keep taking it in and you know moving from one thing to another yeah exactly this multitasking concept is um something that i noticed when my kids had their own laptops and were in in high school and i notice it with the the my in my private practice as well that uh, students will tell me that they're writing a paper but they can't focus on the paper and then we come to find out that their social media sends them notifications every time somebody uh, posts something on whatever site or they will have a they will be studying with somebody else on Skype or FaceTime. So um, they are multitasking with social events um, at the same time that they're trying to write. And it it is definitely, it, it means they don't do anything really well. <laughs> exactly. And, and as you know, you may find that as well in your work, I certainly do, that even adults, you know, work and social life and leisure and everything it's not separate anymore you know so when you're at work you may be checking social media when you are at home you've still brought your work you're still getting email you're still checking you know text messages so there are no boundaries and it's just 24/7 and unless you're not intentional it's not going to switch itself off you know right uh, you know i love the saying that when you die your inbox will still be full <laughs> so, <laughs> that's great <laughs> so it's not like we can get on top of it you know right right well and so it's interesting because in the same vein i hear parents of young children tell me that they their child will be having a tantrum so i'm talking about um, toddlers, preschoolers, young elementary student kids. And so they will say they, they give they give them the tablet because it helps them calm down. It helps soothe them. And it just, that seems contrary to what I would think. And so I'm interested in your thoughts. Is this actually a way to keep kids focused or are we doing them a disservice by giving them these tablets when they're having tantrums or not able to settle down. Doesn't that make you shudder? (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually very concerning because when uh, a toddler or uh, a young child is having a tantrum, they actually need a space to calm down. And when you give them something which is stimulating them, Yes, they're distracting themselves for the time being, but they're not learning any skills to self-soothe. And that's what causes, I mean, that's one of the things that causes dependency on the devices. Because if if it is your go-to device to manage emotional, to regulate yourself emotionally, it's always going to be there and it's easy. But at the end of the day, human beings need human connection. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so this is where I struggle with trying to explain to parents that it might seem in the moment that this is helping their child. I think in reality, it's helping the parents. Um, Mm -hmm. But that in the long term, it's, it's causing bigger problems. Do you have a, do you have some type of commentary that you use that is that works with your clients (laughs) (laughs) yes so you know with uh with parents of young children you know we many many parents on you know whether it's a workshop setting or if it's a you know a family and private practice they will usually come in through the door why because their children are not managing technology appropriately right so it's causing conflict, right? right. The, so where I always start with is actually helping parents to look at their own relationship with technology. Right. And again, the idea that, you know, we always talk about the the children, but in my opinion, distracted parenting is a huge issue for this generation. And as you and I both know that for a young child the connection with the mother, the attachment is the number one thing that we can do for that child to 
give them a really great start in life. Right. And if the attention of the parent is missing or is distracted or is all over the place, it is almost as if the child is being deprived of emotional oxygen. Exactly. And it impacts so many areas of their lives. And I, I truly believe that parents want to do the best for their children. And if they really get this one point, if they get how damaging it is for a child to be wanting the parent's attention and the parent is distracted elsewhere, like we've seen mothers breastfeeding and watching YouTube videos at the same time. Yes, and that is very distressing because I think um, I've done a lot of work with uh, birth to three and mm-hmm. attachment with mothers and especially teen mothers. And the conversation is often around bonding with your with your baby. And one of the ways to bond is through the touch, through the eye contact um, and being in each other's presence. And you can't do that if you have some third thing in the room and in, you know whether it's a television or a computer or something else so so I would agree with you um, and it actually reminds me of I remember even as a child my, those days my mother would be on the telephone and that's that, true <laughs> and I would even say to my children that all it takes is for me to be to answer a phone call to have them suddenly need me you know mm-hmm. at that moment whereas five minutes before they didn't need me so um then oh, it was when you phone. go to the bathroom <laughs> yes exactly and so I think um now I think now we've moved into the age where it's the technology so I'd like to talk a little bit more about this distracted parenting when we come back but we're going to go to a commercial break so please stay tuned sure. We're talking about parenting and technology. If you have any questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Dr. Vadisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs in stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, Call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com. Or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart LLC. Managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice america. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Marzia Hassan, marriage and family therapist and author, and we are talking about technology and families and parenting. And just before the break, we started talking a little bit about distracted parenting and also the importance of maintaining that or building that relationship with our children and maintaining it. So, um, Marcia, can you just give us a sort of recap of distracted parenting? So the way I look at distracted parenting is all obviously, you know, what I don't mean by it, let's start with that, okay. is I do not mean that we need to be vigilant and on guard 
24-7. That's not realistic. It's not healthy. And both the children and we need a break. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What I do mean by that is that there needs to be many, many moments in the day when you are connected with your child and you are present, not only physically present, but mentally and emotionally present for the child. This, you know, many of us I know, we, I'll give you a little story. So I remember being in the car with uh, with my three children who were very young at the time. And, uh, you know, at that point I was reading, I wanted to be a super mom. So I was reading everything that I could, learning everything that I could about parenting. And in my head, I'm having this conversation with myself on how to be a better mom, right? Uh And suddenly I hear from the back, mommy, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And that moment was really an epiphany for me. It was, you know, to be a better parent at this time, I don't really need to plan. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need to get them any educational toys. What I really need to be is present. Exactly. And that was a huge, it was a huge shift, right? And, you know, in those days, it was still easy because, you know, television, you could limit. And, you know, a phone call actually has a beginning and an end as opposed to a WhatsApp conversation, right? Right. So so the idea is that distracted parenting means that you may be physically present, but you are not, you're focused on something else. You know, if we just watch somebody in, like, you know, I like to people watch, I'm sure you do too. Yes. So in the malls, you know, if you just watch uh, parents with their children, you know, they might be in a buggy or a pram or a stroller. And so while the, the dad or the mom is pushing the stroller, they might be on their phone. They might be text messaging. The child might be on a screen at the same time as well. Right. And the idea is that, you know, when you do too much of that, when are you connecting with your child? When are you getting to know them? As you know, because a lot of parenting, as you know, is is learning the personality of your child through reading faces, even before they can speak, by learning, you know, what they sound like, and you know, pre-language, right? right? Body language, things like that. And if you are distracted, you're missing all the cues, first of all, and secondly, you're also missing. The attachment piece, the connection that you can have when you're both present in the same place at the same time. Well, exactly. So uh, one of my mentors said to me that the best present for your children is your presence. Exactly. I love that line because it is so true. And when you talk about the body language, I think it's also important for parents to remember who have multiple children that when we read a lot of these parenting books, which are very helpful, um, you still have to adjust them for your child. And you do that often through reading the nonverbal cues because each child is also different. So as we start to get to know our children, you discover very quickly that same children born to same parents living in the same home and their their needs are different, their behaviors are slightly different. Um, and so being able to connect with them, I, I often talk about if you're talking to your child, get down to eye level with them so that exactly you can connect with them fully. So um, those are all, I think, great points that you brought up. You know, it also helps to build your instinct as a parent. You know, yes. very often I find that young parents um, are lacking in confidence in their parenting skills. And one of the easiest ways to remedy that, well, easy, simplest, I would say, not easy, but simplest ways to remedy that is just start observing, you know, observing your child, what they like, how they react to things. And, you know, because your child is watching you, you know, right. unless you give them, unless you give them a screen, <laughs> they are actually observing you all the time. And if you start doing the same thing with your child, you are building a relationship of trust because you can respond to their needs. And uh, we, as we know, that that relationship of trust between a parent and a child is 
is the greatest um, gift and a good start that we can give the child. You know, many times we think, you know, like people from, uh, you know, obviously parents from uh, who have more resources have, uh, uh, you know, their children tend to turn out better. But I believe that attention is really the great leveler because anyone can can do that. You don't need anything. You don't need education. You don't need, uh, you know, resources. You don't need fancy toys or anything. Exactly, exactly. And this point about watching your children and observing them and your children observing you, I think actually leads us to a different slightly different topic of uh, being a role model and so when I talk to parents about parenting I always remind them that they are the role models for their children even at a very young age and so you want to set up your child for success by looking at your own life and how you behave and how you respond and what you do. So when we talk about technology, this becomes a little bit of a, a difficult issue because um, how do you handle as as a parent, you know, how you handle your smartphone or your tablet impacts what your children see and how they and what they will think is normal. Exactly. So, um, so do you have suggestions for families in regard to that? Uh, So, yes, a couple of things. First of all, you know, I always say don't worry that, you know, many parents complain that the children don't listen to us, right? Right. And I, I tell these parents that you, you know, don't worry that your child is not listening. Be really worried that they're watching everything you're doing. Yes. So, again, what we're doing is teaching them a lot more than what we say. And if we develop an intentional relationship with uh, with technology, then it is much more likely that they will too. And what that looks like in families, so again, you know, when we're talking, so if a family comes and they say, you know, our children are addicted to technology, what can we do? You know, the bad news is that it's going to take a lot of effort from the parents because they're going to have to change their technology habits as well. Right. And one of the easiest ways to do that, actually, is to create what I call sacred spaces and sacred times when you are technology-free. So at the very minimum, for example, on the dinner table, there is absolutely no reason to have phones. True. If we can start there, it's, you know, it's easy. Why? Because it's really time-limited. You know, it's, it's only an hour at the maximum. And uh, it's easy because you can actually leave them somewhere and not even bring them into the dining room or wherever you happen to be eating. So that itself sets at least some space for the family to connect uh, without the mediation of technology and actually speak to each other, you know, make eye contact because we know that young people are increasingly threatened by eye contact because they're only communicating via text, which does not require eye contact. Right. So when you are uh, without a device, you know, you're more likely to look at each other, watch each other's facial expressions, watch the body language. We know that communication is so much more than the words you're speaking. And when we're communicating via text or WhatsApp, you know, all of that is, you know, even with all the fancy emojis, <laughs> it's uh, it's still missing a huge part of of communication. So sacred spaces uh, would be, say, the dining room or the bedroom, especially for very young children. And sacred times would be times in the day that you have intentionally set aside. So we have this concept called the digital sunset. In other words, you know, that's when all the technology goes off. Uh Now, I know this sounds very, um, you know, stringent or <laughs> severe to some people and but you know if you have a true problem in the family and it will show up in different ways you know it'll show up as lack of connection it'll show up as conflict it will show up as frustration uh, these are all signs that you know there is a disconnect right 
And if we can, uh, you know, obviously the e- the earlier you start, the easier it is. So with young children, for example, it's very easy to, because at that point we still, you know, uh, somewhat in in charge right. and uh, there is absolutely no reason that a cell phone should go into an elementary or even a middle child's bedroom in the night. Right. I often recommend that uh, families have a basket that they keep maybe in, in the front hall, the living room, some room that's far from the kitchen, the eating area and the sleeping areas and exactly. all technology goes into the basket and it can actually be charged there overnight um, mm-hmm. to limit it from being in the bedroom. Um, but it the dinner table brings up an, an interesting conundrum because I have clients who are, say, physicians or executives in seemingly important roles and their comments to me are, well, it's fine if my my spouse or partner doesn't bring the phone to the table and the kids don't bring the phone to the table, but I need to know, I need to be, some, I need to be reachable should there be an emergency. Mm-hmm. And it creates a family situation where then the children say, well, why does mom or dad get to do it and I can't do it? Exactly. And it 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 is. It's. I mean, they have a very good point, actually. <laughs> because at the end of the day, I suppose um, before for for doctors, if they were on call, they would be paged, and then they would have to answer the page by getting up and making a phone call and resolving it. Um, and now with the cell phones, everyone just calls them whenever. They need something big or small. So you can't always tell, is it a big emergency or, or not? Um, but, but that, yeah, so but that's, one of the, think... that's one of the role, mo- role model issues I, I find comes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, though, that we train people to, you know, how much they can access us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we respond to the phone, if we pick it up every time, if we answer a text message right away, if we respond by email immediately, every single time, we are sending the message that we're available. So feel free to reach out any time of day or night. Exactly. And, you know, there is increasing research showing it's actually not good for productivity either to check your emails every single time there's an email it's again it's multitasking so if you're working on something say you know uh, whatever whether it's planning or if it is uh, you know creative work or uh, anything which requires attention which you know most work does uh, when you are continuously then you're on somebody else's agenda because if they can contact you and and derail you from what you're doing, you're not in charge of your own time. Right. And we, I think we as adults have a a difficult time with that. So in a sense, again, I go back to my practice and working with parents on issues they have with their children. I come back always to the adults because I think ultimately it's what we have started to do and what we have created that is then having an impact on our children and our children are reacting to us. So the onus of this issue with technology, a lot of it comes to us and how we need to change our habits. Exactly. And again, I think, you know, if we can somehow... And I, and I always think that, you know, in this sense, research is a really good thing because if we can share some, you know, some research with parents about how, you know, checking incessantly emails or it's, it's not even good for work. It's really not. Right. Is there, is there research, a fair amount of research out there? Uh, so, uh, uh, one book that comes to mind is Deep Work. Okay. It, um, 
I'm having a senior moment, so I'm uh, forgetting the author. It'll come to me in a second. Yeah, there is actually a lot, a lot about productivity and how you should limit uh, the time that you check your email, how your, you know, your most productive time in the day should actually be free from the distractions of answering other people's agenda, right? right. So if you have an agenda of working on something, but, you know, you're you're open to being, uh, you know, it's again, answering to the urgent and not right. really attending to the important. Yeah. Okay. Well, hold that thought. We're going to go for a short commercial break and we will be right back to talk some more about technology and the impact it has on all of us. This is Perspectives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Dr. Vadisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs in stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart, LLC. Managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please feel free to get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments. I'm here with Marzia Hassan exploring the challenges and benefits of the technology age that we live in. So Marzia, in this last segment together, I wanted to, there's so many topics I wanted to cover, but one that I think I'd like to focus on here is um, really social media and self-esteem Um and just how kids here, it's probably more adolescents and high schoolers and older, um, just how they present themselves on social media, how often they access it and um, how it's not, I personally don't think it's a, a reality, um, but kids start to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is so much to say about this, right? <laughs> um You know, what very interesting, uh, what research is showing is that there is a difference. So for social media and self-esteem is, tends not to be a problem for all teens or all adolescents. And that's good news, right? Right. What we are finding is that young people who are vulnerable already uh, to you know, to issues of self-esteem, to mental health issues, to depression, to anxiety, they tend to consume more of social media. They tend to be more um, uh, more vulnerable to you know people's responses, likes, dislikes, uh, things like that, and those. Uh, you know, those reactions on social media impact them a great deal more than the other group of teens who have a rich um, life outside of social media and who are, you know, generally well-functioning, confident, uh, 
and have other things going for them. So in other words, if you are uh, generally, you know, you have a rich off, off uh, line, you know, a real life, uh-huh. then social media is, does not tend to impact you a great deal. However, if you are, um, you know, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you are struggling in 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 these uh, sort of uh, areas, then you tend to be more uh, uh, more susceptible to what's happening on social media. Right, because I see a lot of teens, especially, um, constantly checking constantly posing for photographs in certain ways and knowing there's an entire language on how you take a photograph and what how you caption it and when you post it there's a it's a competition for how many um, people look at it or like it or depending on which platform you're talking about how it's assessed um, and it's interesting yes. that you say that it, it differs for the different, Yes, I was actually surprised myself because I think, you know, being in the field that we are, we obviously tend to see, quote unquote, when there are problems. Right. So our perspective, and and this is why it's really good to look at what's, you know, what the research is showing, because our perspective may be a little bit skewed, because when people, they will only walk into the office if they have an issue. Right. Right. So it was very interesting that uh, it is not a problem for people who, it's not a problem for every teen, which is good news, right? Yes. Uh, so, and and the lesson here, I guess, for parents is to make sure that we have opportunities for engaging in real life, in, you know, face-to-face, uh, having uh, things that uh, a young person is involved with, which uh, because again, the default is the the devices. The default is if a child is bored, they will go to the devices. If a child is bored, they will go to social media. But if they are, say, for example, on a sports team, they are on the field, you know, right. and it's less likely that they will be checking their uh, profiles at that point. So, you know, again, it's a balance, yes. And even when they are... You know, there's a lot, as you know, to be set for being bored. Right. So just because they're not engaged in any activity doesn't mean, I mean, we as parents can still encourage them to just be bored. You know, it's not the end of the world, as we know. Exactly. Uh, you know, boredom is actually really valuable for the creative mind. So, you know, and the ch- it's the na- like I always tell parents, it's your child's job to complain about being bored. And it's your job whether you choose to react to it or not. <laughs> well, I would agree with you wholeheartedly because I encouraged, especially in summertime and the holidays where everyone wants to schedule their children and give them lots of things to do for fear of them being bored. I actually wanted my children to become bored because when you push yourself to that limit, to that edge where you're bored, that's when you start the imaginative play where you start to develop ideas of things you may be interested in doing or making or people you want to meet. So ideas start to get generated at that point where you become bored. Um, and I don't, I agree. I don't think that kids at in, in this time and this decade really have those opportunities as much because they have, they have their smartphone right next to them to, to keep them company. Exactly. And then the other side of it is also when um, when they do have these social media platforms that they're constantly checking, people typically don't post things when they're unhappy or when they are not happy with how they look or what they're doing. So it seems to be a very unrealistic perspective on what's going on in the world. Uh-huh. And so that's where the self-esteem concerns are the ones that I see because I I have lots of clients who really believe that what they see on social media is the way the world is. And uh-huh. I'm, I think it's the phones have been around long enough now that it's not just teens and young adults, but it's even 
uh, adults, younger uh-huh. adults who suffer from the same thing because um, you get swept up in this, all this information. You know, really, uh, you know, to put it in one sentence, we all end up comparing the messiness of our inside lives to the perfectly curated, you know, world of social media. Right. So how do you stop that? (laughs) So I think to recognize that that's what's happening, you know, to have a conversation that, you know, what do you post on social media? It's not when you're having a bad hair day, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or it's not when you... um, have no makeup on so the others are doing exactly the same and you know again I think with you know going back to what we can do as parents you know it starts really young when when parents are posting pictures of you know I call it the little prince and princess syndrome right where you know we post pictures of our children as if they're God's gift to mankind right (laughs) and uh, you know my prince and my princess and uh, you know we post pictures of them as uh, you know at their birthday parties and um, it's it actually does no good (laughs) (laughs) so and and by the way you know there's on a separate note there's a lot to be said for posting pictures of our children without their permission because those pictures are going to be online forever Right. So, you know, I remember when we had conversations about social media for a long time, my children would not accept me as friends on on Facebook. And it was only after I agreed to a lot of things, you know, not to gush. I'm not allowed to gush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm not allowed to make comments on, you know, in a certain way. And I have to respect that because as they grow, if I don't follow, if I have if I don't display the self-control of, you know, of literally controlling myself when I want to gush or when I want to (laughs) post things about what they've done, uh, then how can I expect them to have the the self-control of, uh, you know, of posting whatever they feel like? Well, it's interesting because when I read your book, I was taken by some of these comments about posting pictures of our children when they're young, when we haven't asked their permission, it it actually didn't fully settle in my mind that obviously these photographs are going to be there forever, but we don't think about them. We just think, oh, this is my child and it's their birthday or they're walking or whatever the milestone is. Um, but there is a longer view and, um, and it is important to respect them as individuals, whether they are two feet tall or six feet tall. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I agree with that. And it was, it was a very eye-opening thing to read um, in your book about that. Um, and also that leads a little bit into a conversation you were having in the book about safety and how do we keep our kids safe online. Um, so it's, Twofold. One is keeping them safe by not having their information on there. Um, mm-hmm. And then also about when they wander off in the internet <laughs> into cyberspace on their own. Exactly. Uh, you know, and it's like just like we wouldn't, you know, give them a car and allow them to drive without giving them some instruction or leave them unsupervised on the playground. It's the same exact thing. You know, when we are, um, when they have the internet, they actually have access to a lot of good and a lot of not so good. (laughs) And if we have not prepared them beforehand about what they're going to encounter and how they're going to deal with it, it's going to be, uh, you know, there's just too much at stake. I remember when my children were, um, uh, when they first bought a rabbit, and they actually went, and you know, it was still a home computer, and they were trying to find out information on how to take care of the, a bunny. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, you know, a lot of different stuff came up. And, you know, it was really good that I was with them at that point. And, um, you know, we could, you know, um, preempt <laughs> them. But, you know, 
it's it's also the impact on their souls because a lot of times children are exposed to things which they're just not ready for. I mean, I just today, you know, we were uh, some young people and I were discussing a, a really, you know, viral Instagram account that's going on right now. And they said, oh, don't listen to this one. It's going to. And I so I, of course I did. <laughs> and and I said, I wish I hadn't. And, you know, so we had a conversation about like literally polluting your soul. And they said, what does that mean? I said, because you can't take it back. You right. know, once you've seen the grossness of life, you, you can't switch it off. It's there. So, you know, especially young people do need to be protected from things that they're not ready to. I wasn't ready for this. Right. So. Uh, and. And so how do you, we only have another minute or so left, but how do you protect them? So when you have the family computer and everything's out in the open, that's one way. But now where everybody has their own devices, is there a way to protect them? So first of all, children really shouldn't be having their own devices, you know, at such a young age. Like right. under the age, if I was to give an age, right, under the age of 12, for example, a young child does not need unsupervised, unlimited access to the internet. Right. It's going to do no good. It's not. So even if they have a phone for safety reasons, if they're traveling back and forth from school, they they don't need a smartphone. You know, now actually people are going back. They are, you know, quote unquote, dumb phones out there. <laughs> the flip uh, phones they, are back. <laughs> yes, because they, they, people are recognizing that it's not such a good thing. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. Um, we've talked a little bit about the balance. It's a, because it's, there are many benefits to having access to all this information. And certainly as parents with children living far away, it helps to have the ability to communicate and to know that they've reached a place or that if they're not well. It is very helpful. But on the other hand, there are so many um, negatives as well that we need to counter. And, um, and you know, I could talk to you forever about this, Marzia. Um, I really appreciate you for coming on the show today. Um, thank you. And thank you to all my listeners for joining us today on Perspectives. We've been talking to Marzia Hassan about technology, social media, and how it impacts us physically, mentally, and socially, and especially how it impacts our parenting. I would strongly urge everyone to take a look at Marzia's book, Parenting in the Age of Facebook. Um, and do you have a website, Marzia, that people can go uh, to? Yes, it's marziahassan.com. Okay. Uh, it's always a work in progress, but it is there. <laughs> well, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and so, Marzia, thank you so much for joining us. And this is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. So feel free to email me at drv4kids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.